right. Uh, good morning, everybody. How many of you here were last week when the ladies all spoke? Let me see your hands. If you weren't here, you missed something special. Um, those ladies brought it last week, which was a lot of fun. And we're going to do a little competition because we're going to have the men bring it on Father's Day. And uh, so, uh, and then we're going to do a young communicators later on uh, early fall. And then I think we're, we, we're kind of stumbled on something. We'll kind of do this again, uh, kind of once a quarter. And being able to hear all your different voices. I absolutely loved it in hearing everybody preach about that. Would you put your hands together for the ladies that maybe were in the room that spoke last week? It was just so good. So good. All right, well, we've been doing a series around here where we've been calling it, we call it Life in the Spirit. What we're doing is we're going through the book of Romans, and we're just about done. We're in the last section of the book of Romans, which are chapters 12 through 16. And this section of the book of Romans is all about the topic of service. And this morning, we're in chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to four, chapter 14, book of Romans, where you can also follow, follow along on the screen here. We're going to start here in verse 1. It says this, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. The man, one man considers one day more sacred than the other, and another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us... For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be um, the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother, or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. As it is written, as surely as I say, says the Lord, every knee will bow, every, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because you, of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who's not, who's not, who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is 
sin. Now, here in these verses, the Apostle Paul, he's addressing an issue that I think affects every single one of us, and that is, how do I accept others? How do I embrace and get along with other Christians when I disagree with what they believe in, in their lifestyle? How do I ex- actually accept and, and get along with and actually keep people close to me who have these types of differences? When you think about it, this was the essence of Jesus' concern and his prayer for us as Christians. And in John chapter 17, he prayed this for us. He said this in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And when you think about it, it just it this seems like a simple idea, right? That we're to love other Christians, that we're to actually get along with other believers, that we're to be united with other believers, whether it's here in Texas or anywhere else in the world. But why isn't this so simple? I mean, why is this so difficult for us to actually do? Well, the answer to that is because of our differences. It's our differences that make it difficult for for us to actually accept and and to get along with uh, other Christians, whether, again, it's in our own body of believers or any place else around the world. See, the Bible is very clear and very specific about some issues. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. No cheating. um, You know, uh, uh, getting drunk. All all of that is out. Those are things that are very specific in, in Scripture. And there's just no, no argument against these different types of things. But there are other aspects of Scripture where the Bible actually doesn't talk about it or is kind of gray or unclear. And so here in Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is specifically addressing the issue of what can Christians eat and not eat? And when should Christians worship? I mean, so we just worship on Sunday? Do we just go to church on Sunday? Is it okay to go to church on Saturday? Or is it okay to go to church on Thursday or another day of the week? And then should Christians be total abstainers or is moderation okay? These were the specific issues that the Apostle Paul was addressing here in Romans chapter 14. But when you think about it, that list can go on and on and on and on. Because can Christians go dancing? Well, if you answer the question, yes, then what type of dances can Christians go to? Can Christians play cards? If the answer is yes, then what type of card games can Christians play? Can Christians go to movies? Then if the answer is yes, can you go to a PG movie or PG-13 or or an R-rated or an MA rating or an X-rated? What type of movies can Christians go to? Can Christians watch TV? If yes, then what type of television shows can Christians watch? Can Christians drive cars? Can can Christians use electricity? Can can Christians put makeup on? The list just goes on and on and on and on. And the reality is that every single Christian, we all have our own lists of do's and don'ts. Every single one of us have formed our own lists of do's and don'ts. I mean, if I were to take a survey even this morning about... Um, how we do music around here at One Chapel. Some of you would say that the music here is just too loud. And others you would say, well, it's not loud enough. 
Some of you would say that the music is, well, we sing too many songs. And others of you say, well, we don't sing enough songs. Some of you would say, well, I, I like all the contemporary songs that we sing. And others of you would be saying, well, why do we sing contemporary songs? Because we need to sing more hymns. But others of you are saying, well, I'm glad we don't sing very many hymns. No matter what, we all have differing opinions about the songs and the music that we even do here at church. As well, if I were to take a survey and ask you the question, what what translation of the Bible should we use here at One Chapel? Some of you would say, well, the best translation to use is the New International Version. And some of you would say, well, the best translation to use is, is the New King James Version. And some of you would say, well, the best translation is the New American Standard Bible. Or some of you say the best translation is new, new, the New Living Translation or the Message or the, the Passion Bible because those are a little bit more easier understood in our contemporary language today. And then others of you would say, well, no, it has to be the King James Bible. And if we don't use the King James Bible, well, I'm not going to come to church here because after all, the King James Bible is the only inspired translation of Scripture. No matter where you land on this, we all have differing opinions about all these different types of things. And so what happens when my list of do's and don'ts doesn't match your list of do's and don'ts and Scripture doesn't have really anything specific to say about it? Well, when that happens, that's when we become judgmental and comparative and argumentative because obviously my list of ways of doing things is much better than your list. I'm right and you're wrong. And so because of that, since I'm right and you're wrong, that's going to make it difficult for me to love you. It's going to make it difficult for me to accept you. It's going to make it difficult for me to include you in my circle of friends. And so this is where friendships get broken. This is where people leave churches. This is where church splits happen. As a matter of fact, right now there's over 38,000 different Christian denominations in the world. 38,000 different Christian denominations in the world. The projection by 2025 is that there'll be 55,000 different Christian denominations in the world. Why? Because these differences cause us to split ways. I don't like this. I want it to do it this way, and so since this church is doing it this way, I, we split, we break churches apart, and we form all, and so this has been going on really since the beginning of time, and I want to show you a couple of examples of this, of how differences produce negative results in the Bible. Go all the way back to the beginning, Cain and Abel is a great example of this. Look at this in Genesis 4, verse 2, it says, later she gave birth to her brother, his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you... Do not do what is right. Sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And so Cain and Abel's differences produced this envy and a sense of injustice and inequality, which then ultimately led to murder. Jump forward to Saul and David. They're another example of this. For Samuel 18, verse 6, it says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, 
The women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyous songs and with tambourines and lutes. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him, and he gave his command over a thousand of men. David led the troops in their campaigns. And everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. And so for Saul and David, their differences produced in Saul this envy and competitiveness and and anger and stubbornness. And eventually it led to Saul's own self-destruction. And then we jump forward into the New Testament, and Paul finds himself in a difficult situation that leads to a negative result. This one that we've been reading about, the one who who wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament, the one who wrote the book of Romans, he too struggled with the issues of differences, and he and Barnabas had an issue with this. Look at this in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they, had, that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. I love that ending statement. This, this big disagreement is going on with Paul and Barnabas, and the believers are going, I don't know what we're supposed to do. We're just going to leave you to the grace of God. <laughs> go, go your ways. And so that difference in Paul and Barnabas actually creates this judgment and ultimately a separation of ways, a separation of partnership, a separation of brotherhood that was going on here. And so the question is, why? Why is it so easy for us to respond negatively to our Differences. What's the core behind all of this? Well, number one, I think it's because all of us want things to be equal, fair, and just. We all want to have that equality and fairness and just and what's going on. And every single parent in this room, you've probably heard these three words at some point, some way, somehow from one of your kids. That's not fair. Right? That's not fair. Billy didn't have to do that. That's not fair. Susie, Susie was able to do this. Why, why can't I? There's something inside of us that raises up with this sense of injustice. We want equality here. When we do personality tests, there's a personality test called a values test. And it scores you how I you are in personal freedom, loyalty, justice, and equality. And what's interesting is that the, that, that the entire population, over half the population, has a high sense of justice and equality. They by far overrank personal freedom and loyalty in terms of values. And the reason is just because we want things to be fair. We want things to be just. We want things to be equal. And so it causes us then to react negatively when we see differences. The second reason why it's so easy to respond negatively to our differences is because we all like to be on the winning team. We all want to be right. 
Isn't that correct? We, 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 we want to win. We don't want to lose. And so if I've formed my opinion about something, then I'm convinced I'm right. And everybody who believes the way I believe, we're on the winning team because obviously I'm right. And so we want to, we want, we want to be on this winning team. It's, and so it's this drive because, because it threatens me. If you believe something different, then that might threaten. Am I really on the winning team or not? Because we all want to be on the, winning, on the winning team. And then the third reason why it's so easy for us to respond negatively to our differences is really because of the foundational issue of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which goes all the way back to the beginning of your Bible. Look at this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the servant, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open. And they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, I want you to notice something about this whole passage of Scripture, because notice that Satan didn't encourage Eve to rebel against God. Did you notice that? That's not what the temptation was. The temptation wasn't to rebel against God. What did he do? He appealed to Eve's love for God and her desire to be more like God. God. That was what the allure was for this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to become more like God. And that's the thing about the tree of the life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is that it has a semblance of godliness because you're doing what is right and you're ignoring or not doing what is wrong. And here's the thing. Just as Eve had this choice, you and I have this choice today in every situation to choose to live out of the tree of life we're out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you choose to respond out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's characterized by, number one, a lack of innocence. A lack of innocence, where your heart becomes hardened, and it makes it difficult for you to respond. Um, so, you make, make, so you respond out of mistrust, a lack of innocence. Number two, um, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is characterized by victimization. Victimization, where you become poisoned by the injustices that are around you, so you respond then out of hurt or out of resentment or out of bitterness. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, number three, is characterized by a legalistic, self-righteous mindset. 
a legalistic, self-righteous mindset that then sets you up to be the only one who is right and to, then to insist that it's got to be my way. Things got to be done my way. That's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil sets you up for. And then number four, it's characterized by your relationship with God being based upon a list of do's and don'ts. In other words, your relationship with God gets reduced to, I just got to do all the right things. And I got to make sure I don't do all these bad things. And then that becomes the essence of what your relationship with God then is all about. And then number five, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is characterized by creating a value system or standards that you live by. And then you expect everybody else to live by these exact same standards as well. That's what it means to live out and respond out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And every single day, you have a choice to step into this tree or to step into the tree of life. And the tree of life is characterized by, number one, by innocence. Innocence. Where you look at people and situations with the eyes of innocence. Where you're willing to, t to trust and you're willing to take risks. Number two, the tree of life is characterized by having a clean conscience. Having a clean conscience where you're free from offense, you're free from bitterness, you're free from, from that resentment, you have a, a light heart. And then number three, the tree of life is characterized by refusing to judge others and to hold them to your expectations and to your standards. That's the tree of life. Refusing to judge others and to hold them to your standards and to your expectations. And then number four... The tree of life is characterized by your relationship with God, not being based upon a list of do's and don'ts, but your relationship is based out of a love and a thankfulness for what God has done for you. That's what it looks like to live out of the tree of life. And so every single day, folks, every single one of us in every single situation that you're confronted with, that you, you have this choice to either respond out of the tree of life or out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The reality is, every single one of us came to church either in one of these two trees. Either you came to church today in the tree of life, or you came to church out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you come to church out of the tree of life, you're grateful for the congregation, you're grateful for the staff, you're grateful for the leadership. You want to make yourself available to serve, and so it's a joy to give, it's a delight, it's a, it's a delight to worship, and you enjoy the fellowship and the interaction with the people who are around you. When you feel that, you're stepping into the tree of life. But the reality is, is that we can come to church even out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you do that, then you're coming to church out of duty or obligation. And when you come to church out of duty or obligation, then that's when you come to church with a critical eye. And so that means that if the pastor doesn't strike your liking, you know, if the, the music's too loud or too soft, or the temperature's too cold or, or too hot, if someone doesn't talk to you the right way and say the right things to you and, and notice you, then all of a sudden you start having this sour spirit it starts developing inside of you. And then when a need surfaces in the church, instead of jumping in to help, you just criticize the issue. That's what it looks like to come to church in one of these two trees. You can even read your Bible 
out of the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you read your Bible out of the tree of life, then joy is always prevalent. In other words, when you're reading this, it's, it's like you're reading it as a child and you're insa- it's insatiable and, and you, you, just, you submit your life to the scriptures and what the word says about these different things. You let them speak deeply into your heart. I can always tell when I'm reading my Bible out of the tree of life because when I'm reading my Bible out of the tree of life, I'm underlining a whole bunch. I'm highlighting a whole, bunch of, a whole bunch of things, and I'm taking a lot of notes. I can always tell that I'm in the tree, I'm in the tree of life. But the reality is, is that you can read your Bible out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where you're reading your Bible out of duty or a goal or an obligation. And so in other words, if I believe it's godly, then to read five chapters in my Bible every single day, and if I'm successful reading five chapters in my Bible every single day, then that will become the standard for godliness. Does that make sense? And so then my knowledge of good and evil about reading the Bible means that when I'm successful at reading these five chapters every single day, then I, then I know God's pleased with me. I know God likes me. I know God loves me and I have his favor. But when I fall short of that, then I need to be wary because God's not so pleased with me because I didn't get my five chapters in today. And so if I'm meeting somebody and I, and I meet Wanda here and she is, and she, um, and we're talking about reading her Bible and she, she goes, yeah, I, I I read five chapters in, in my Bible every single day, then all of a sudden there's an affinity here because we agree that we need to read five chapters in our Bible every day. But if I'm talking with Larry over here and I find out that he doesn't read five chapters a day, that maybe only he reads one chapter a day, then all of a sudden I'm going to feel compelled to try to get him. Come on, man. You need to read five chapters a day. You're falling just a little bit short here because if you really want to be godly like me... You need to read five chapters in your Bible every single day. And so I put guilt on him. I put condemnation on him because he's not rising to my standard. I can also tell when I'm, not, when I'm reading my Bible out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because when I'm reading a passage, instead of thinking about me, I'll read a passage and I think, oh boy, Tom needs to hear this one. I, I, I better text him, or I better, I better post this on social media, because Tom really needs to hear this verse. This is going to really help him if he knows about this. And so I'm compelled, because all I can do is I see it because what other people need instead of what I need. And so it's so easy for us to fall into that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in everything that we do. Do you see how destructive this is? It's so destructive for us when we live out or respond out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the question becomes, so how can I stay in the tree of life and love others and accept others when I disagree? How can I stay in that tree of life and actually love others and accept others when I find out that Larry only thinks he needs to read one chapter in the Bible? A day. How do I? How could I still accept him and keep him close to me and not exclude him in any sort of way? Well, let me give you a grid that I think is going to help you here this morning to really put this in order in your life. If you would take a picture, look, look at this picture here on the screen here, because this is a picture of what each one of our belief systems need to look like in our life, and I want you to notice that in the center of this belief system are absolutes. 
And your belief system needs to be the exact same way. At the center of what you believe, at the center of how you live, you need to have absolutes. And absolutes are the unchanging foundations of faith. These are things that, that aren't subject to personal conviction or cultural trends or even your feelings. This is the reason why we tend to declare the Nicene Creed here on Sundays because that gives you a list of a lot of the absolutes of Scripture. We believe in God the Father, the maker of all created things. We believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, the one who died for us, born of a virgin, fully God, fully, fully human, who, who sacrificed his life for us on the cross and then was resurrected on the third day. These are the absolutes of Scripture, and, and there are more than that. But that's, it's the unchanging things that are clear, crystal clear in Scripture. And these are the things that have to hold you together. These are the things that, that are the non-negotiables of your faith. These are the things that make you a Christian. If you do not believe in the absolutes of Scripture, then you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ because they are the same for us here this morning here in Spicewood, Texas, as they are in Timbuktu. The absolutes do not change culturally. They are the same um, for every single one of us, and they don't change by time. But then notice there's another circle outside of absolutes, which are called interpretations. And so now we start moving past, because every one of us in our belief system, we have this core of absolutes, but then we have what are called interpretations. And interpretations are applications or ex explanations of Scripture. So anytime that I read a passage of Scripture and then say, well, that means I've just made an interpretation. So a lot of things that we talk about even in church are interpretations. So for example... The absolute is that Jesus is coming back. That's one of the absolutes. Jesus is coming back. We, we just declared in the Nicene Creed to, to judge the living and the dead. Jesus someday is going to come back for, to judge the living and the dead. The interpretation then is that, okay, Jesus is going to come back before pre-tribulation. That's an interpretation. Or he's going to come back in the middle, mid-tribulation, mid-trib. Or he's going to come back post-tribulation. So whether you believe Jesus is going to come back pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, it's an interpretation. And all of these are respected interpretations of Scripture. But no matter where you land on, it's an interpretation. The absolute, Jesus is coming back. The interpretation is now when he is coming back. And then notice there's the next ring. We'll get further away from absolutes, which are deductions. And deductions there are when we take different aspects of Scripture and we bring them together to form then a conclusion. And so, in other words, if we take the absolute that Jesus is coming back, my interpretation is Jesus is coming back pre-trib. My deduction is that because of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians and because of what is written in the book of Daniel, then Jesus is coming back December 21st, 2021. That is a deduction. And I want you to notice the further we get away from absolutes, the further we get away from what Scripture actually says. I'm deductions, I'm drawing conclusions to these types of things. And then beyond that are what we call preferences. Preferences. And so these are your personal subjective opinions. These are your feelings. These are your cultural norms. And so examples of preferences then are what type of songs we sing, what translation of the Bible do we have, 
Should we have stained glass in churches? Should we have a steeple? You know, what should you wear when you come to church? You know, can you wear shorts like Logan just did here on the platform? Can you wear jeans or can you wear, wear, wear a suit when you come to church? What color should we paint the walls? I mean, all these types of things are what go into the category then of preferences. But here's the thing that's so important for everyone of us to understand. Because we all need to agree on the absolutes. That's what makes you a believer. That's what makes you a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's where we have commonalities. But what you need to understand is that where there's interpretations and deductions and preferences, those are the things that can divide us because there then are differences. The problem that I think so many of us fall into is that we tend to make all of these equal. In other words, we don't realize and emphasize the difference between absolutes and interpretation, the difference between absolutes and deductions, the difference between absolutes and preferences. We tend to emphasize them to be exactly the same. And so the result is that we expect and then even demand that other Christians not only hold on to the absolutes, but they also have to hold on to my interpretations, my deductions, and my preferences. Those of you who are old enough, who you can remember this, there was a book that was written in the 1980s that was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Any of you old enough to remember that book out there? I'm one of the few, I guess. <laughs> so there was a book written, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Obviously, it didn't happen. Nor did Jesus return the 47 other times that people have predicted over the last 2,000 years that Jesus was going to return. I, I have this little chart here of, of all the different claims of, of Jesus going to come, the predictions of when Jesus was come. And it goes all the way back to the year 500. That was the first time that it was predicted that Jesus would come back. To, then it went to April 6, 793 was, was the time. January 1st, 1,000. Um, 1260, 1370, 1504, February 20th. 1524, um, 1526, 1840, October 1999, 2000, there's a bunch of people that thought he was coming back in 2000. April 6, 2000. May 21st, 2011. October 21st, 2011. That was the same guy. He, you know, he moved it. <clears throat> he said first he was going to come on the 21st, and then when he didn't come, he said, no, 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 it's October 21st, 2011. The same guy said this. September, September 29th, 2011. May 27th, 2012. May, th May 18th, 2013. That was the same guy who said all three of those. 2012... Um, and then um, September 28, 2015. Those are all the ones that had predicted that Jesus was going to come back in all of those different dates. And there's a whole bunch more that are still yet to come. My point in saying all of this is that 
that if you don't realize there's a difference between absolutes, interpretation, deductions, and our preferences, if you don't realize there's a difference, you're soon going to have a crisis of faith when some, either one of your interpretations or deductions or your opinions is challenged or proven false. Did you hear me? If you don't understand the difference between the absolutes, interpretation, deductions, and preferences, then at some point, you're going to have a crisis of faith when one of your interpretations or deductions or your opinions is challenged or is proven false. And so the Apostle Paul gives us a, a more of a life-giving way to handle our differences. Go back to Romans 14, verse 1. It says, Welcome with open arms, fellow believers, who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Somebody needs to hear that because these differences may have been may be aggravating to you. The New Living Translation says it this way. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. That word accept means to welcome, to receive, to not exclude. That's what that word means, to welcome, to receive, to not exclude. And one of the things that I love about our church is how eclectic it is. I absolutely love that. Because some of you are coming from Catholic backgrounds, some of you are coming from Lutheran backgrounds, some of you are coming from Methodist backgrounds and Presbyterian backgrounds, some of you are coming from Baptist backgrounds, some of you are coming from Charismatic or Pentecostal backgrounds, some of you are coming from non-denominational church backgrounds, some of you are coming from completely unchurched backgrounds. I absolutely love that. I love the eclectic nature of that. But here's the reality with this, because with all of this, we're going to have differences. Because of the eclectic nature of who we are as a church, we're going to have differences. We're going to have differences in interpretations, differences in deductions, differences in preferences. But when you understand the difference between absolute interpretation, the difference between absolute and deduction, the difference between absolute and preferences, then it's more easily to embrace people in their differences and then not rush into foolish arguments and not cut off relationship with people then who believe differently than you do. And therefore, that's then when we're able to do and fulfill what Jesus' prayer for us, and that is to be one. If you would, I want you to close your eyes here. I don't want you to think about anybody else. Because maybe for you, maybe you're one of those who you, you've been hurt by a fellow believer. Maybe you've been really frustrated and even irritated by another believer. Maybe even today you've, you've come in here into the service completely distracted by your interaction with another person and what that person said to you or what that person did or what that person believes about this or that and you're carrying that even now into this service or, or maybe you're, you're finding yourself to be increasingly judgmental and comparative and argumentative and you're realizing how irritable you've become and how you've been impatient with others and Maybe even you're realizing that you've been living out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of out of the tree of life. 
Would you just here in this moment, would you let God into the middle of that relationship right now? Would you let God into the middle of those emotions that you're feeling right now? Father, all of this room, God, we make a decision to let go. We let go of the hurts and the frustrations and even the irritations that we felt by the people around us. We let go of all the, the judgments that we've accumulated against those who are around us. And we let go of our right to be right and our right to have things done our own way. Father, would you help us move and live in the tree of life where innocence can come back into how we think and, and our emotions and our interaction with other people. That we let go of the semblance of godliness that comes with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That we let go of that and choose really your tree of life. That we would be for people and not against people. That we would understand the differences and absolutes and interpretation, deductions and preferences, and that we would allow room for those different expressions. Father, I pray that for every one of our hearts that may have gotten soured, that may have become just critical, that God, that you would come in and you begin to just wash over every single one of us. God, that you would heal our mind, that you would heal our emotions that you would heal those relationships. God, you would heal the expectations of what we have. And the Lord, that we could walk loosely and lightly with our arms open and wide, wide open. That God, that you would be the center, that we would truly be one. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment. We invite you right here and right now. The worship team is going to just continue to lead us in worship here. And, and as, as they do, I want to encourage you to just to continue to engage, to let God in to all the things that are going on with you. Just to invite him in, just to let his presence come and sort out stuff, whether it's worries or, or fears or anxious things, whether it's um, difficulties or challenges that you're facing, that you just allow just the presence of God to come in here. As part of our worship experience, we're going to have communion up front here, and you don't have to be a member of this church to take part of communion. This is something that Jesus sets for us, and we have tables up front, and you can just come up here and take a piece of bread and dip in the juice and just go back to your chair and just have your own moment. As well, the prayer team is going to be up here in the front and the back. They have these little badges on so you can easily... Um, differentiate them between everybody else. And these men and women are here to minister to you.
to really communicate the heart of God and to pray over you and to pray with you no matter what's going on. And so as part of your worship, just engage them in this. Whatever it is that's going on, let them pray with you and for you and release what God wants to release in you. So if you would, stand your feet here. Let's worship God here for the next few minutes. You know, I think, you know, so often when uh, we come to church, we can just kind of go through the motions of things and just kind of sit into a pattern and not grab a hold of what it is that the Holy Spirit wants to do right now in your moment, in your life. And when you think about all that is happening and all that God has brought you through, and, but right now, He's here. His very presence is here. And I just reminded of these those five ladies that spoke last week on faith. And what faith is, that faith takes a step, that faith moves forward, that in spite of what goes on, that, that faith is something, that faith requires something. And uh, and so I want to encourage you, even before you leave here today, to, to take a step of faith, to take, to take an action point to whatever is going on in your, in your life, whether you're at the highest of highs or the lowest of lows. God is with you. God is here right now in the midst of whatever is going on in your life. And I just can't get away from the, this feel that there are some people here that just feel kind of stuck in something. And it may be stuck in a relationship, maybe stuck in a difficulty, maybe stuck in a, a job situation, and maybe stuck in a habit or an addiction or a mindset that you kind of just feel stuck. And, and I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to do something to shift you out and to break you out. We started at the beginning of this year that this year um, is a year of shift. I really believe that from from the revelation of the Holy Spirit, there's things that he wants to shift in you, but the mistake always is just to be passive with it and kind of just say, God, when's it going to happen? Instead of stepping into it. And so these people that are here on the prayer team are here to help release and to help break things and to help you step through some stuff. But, but right before we leave here, would you just, let's just join our voices together again in that old hymn of declaring how great Thou art. So come on, just lift your voices here with the team. Come on, Violet, just sing out here, would you, would please? Come on, just sing, everybody. He's greater than everything that you're facing. Come on. Just stir yourself up with it. You are great, God. You know, the Apostle Paul, he prayed for us that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we could know the incredible vastness and the greatness of God, that he is the one who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what you could ever ask, hope, or imagine. This is who we sing about. This is who we talk about. This is who we worship. And so the prayer teams are just going to stick around here, but I want to encourage you, don't leave. If there's something you feel stuck in, if something's going on, let them release. Let them pray over you here before we leave here. If you would, why don't you grab a hold of the person's hand beside you, if you would, please. You may or may not know the person beside you or on the other side of the aisle, but just grab a hold of them. Move across, if you would, please. And, and 
And as I speak this blessing, would you just with your own voice just pray for them? Just pray for the people on your left and your right. Pray for whatever's going on over them and what's happening around them. God, we do. We pray for the people on our left and our right, in front of us, behind us. God, that your will would come, that your will would be done. God, that your kingdom come as, on, as in heaven, that it would be done here on earth and to each of these people's lives. God, we release wisdom. We release your revelation. God, we release that breakthrough. We release that shift in their life. We release that healing in their bodies and in their minds and in their hearts. God, we release your very presence in them. We release the spirit of truth that would counter every lie and deception, that spirit of counsel to give them wisdom and all the things that they're dealing with and all the business decisions they need to make and family decisions. Would you release, would you release your spirit of counsel and your spirit of wisdom and release the spirit of might and the spirit of power to overtake them and to overcome them and all the situations that they encounter. Father, we thank you. We speak blessing over the people around us here. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.